Good morning, and happy Thanksgiving. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm the pastoral assistant here at the church at Crawford Avenue, and I'd like to say welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. Glad we get to celebrate a Thanksgiving week and uh, come to worship one last time in the gym. It's exciting times. Next week we'll be in the new, newly renovated sanctuary. Um, so our first, we'll be beginning a Christmas outreach series. Uh, our lead pastor, Pastor Burt, will be preaching. And we'll be beginning a Christmas outreach series for the month of December. I'm going to be preaching today from uh, Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, so go ahead and stay there in your Bibles. It's on page 874 and 875 if you've missed it. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there should be one under the chair in front of you. So go ahead and go to page 874 and 875. As you turn there, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would teach us this morning from your word. God, from this very popular and well-known story, God, I pray that we would um, be reminded again of how we are to relate to you. God, that we don't come to you with hands full to give, but Lord, we come to you uh, with hands empty and receive everything. Father, I pray that you would be with me now as I speak. Father, speak through me. I pray that you would speak through your word and help us in this time. In Christ's name, amen. My goal this morning is to clearly communicate what is the heart of Christianity. What does it look like when we relate to God? How are we supposed to view our relationship with God? There's several ways to view a relationship with God. We can see him as a, a dictator who says, hey, you do this and you follow. We can view him as Santa Claus and we say, okay, we behave nicely and he gives us good gifts. We pay our deeds of good behavior and he gives us good gifts. But this, this story is calling us to relate to God as a loving father where we come to him with nothing and we get everything. So that's the main point of my message this morning. My main point is that Christianity is a hands-empty receiving and not a hands-full exchange. I'll say that again. Christianity, our relationship with God, is a hands-empty receiving and not a hands-full exchange. I want to start this morning and look at the context where Jesus tells a story. It's, it's important to see who Jesus is telling this story to to understand the point of this. So look at verses 1 and 2. We see that Jesus is telling this parable to two groups of people. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man eat, receives sinners and eats with them. So here we see two groups of people in verses 1 and 2. We have the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes on one hand, and we have the tax collectors and sinners on the other. The Pharisees and scribes are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They're the religious elite. They're the religious all-stars. They uh, have memorized much of the Old Testament. They fast religiously. They don't miss a week of fasting. They don't miss their, they don't miss their ties. They're the religious elites. And on the other hand, we have the tax collectors and sinners. Now, these people are the opposite of the Pharisees and the scribes. 
These are known as the immoral crowd or the non-religious crowd or the people who haven't done the right deeds or paid their dues. And the Pharisees and the religious people on this end often look down on and don't want anything to do with the tax collectors and the sinners. But these tax collectors and sinners are drawn to Jesus. They're coming to Jesus. Look at this in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near him. They're coming to Jesus, and Jesus is accepting them. And the Pharisees and the scribes don't like this. They don't understand it. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Why is Jesus over here receiving the sinners? And the parable of the prodigal son uh, is actually the third parable in Luke 15 that is Jesus' response to the Pharisees' accusation. I want you to see this. So look at verses 1 through 3. Now the tax collectors and the sinners are all gathering near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then verse 3, So he told them this parable. In order to understand this parable, we have to understand where it's coming from. Jesus is directing this parable at the religious leaders, at the Pharisees and scribes. And he's saying, guys, the way that you view a relationship with God is off. The Pharisees view God primarily as one who makes demands and must be obeyed. That you earn your keep. That you better do good to get good. It's how the Pharisees view God. And so they're saying, Jesus, why are you receiving these people? They haven't done good. They don't deserve it. So Jesus told them this parable. And I have two points this morning from this parable. And I, I want to say, we could, I could preach five weeks on this parable. There's a lot in here. But I want to focus on two things. I want to focus on one truth from the younger brother and one truth from the older brother. Uh, I have two points this morning, and, and they are that it's a hands-empty receiving. That uh, relationship with God is a hands-empty receiving. And my second point is that it's not a hands-full exchange. So point number one, a relationship with God is a hands-empty receiving. And this is found in verses 11 through 23. So go ahead and turn there. Verse 11, and he said, and this is Jesus speaking to the, to the Pharisees, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and, go, and I will go to, uh, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Christianity, we come to God. It's a hands empty receiving. I want you to notice how bad Jesus portrays this younger brother to be. One Bible expert said that Jesus tells this story so that those who are listening to him think this has to be the worst sinner on the face of the earth. Look at what he does. First, he shames and insults his father by asking for his inheritance early. Look at it in verse 12. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In this time period, like ours, uh, a child gets an inheritance after the father dies. In this situation, the older brother would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger brother would have gotten one-third of the inheritance. But notice I said, after the father dies. This child, he has the audacity to go to his dad and say, Dad, I want my inheritance now. You know what he's saying? He's basically saying, Dad, you're dead to me. I don't want you. I just want your stuff. Can I have my stuff and be done with you? This is an audacious request. But it doesn't stop here. Then he runs away and spends all the money on sinful pleasures. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, so he gets the assets. The younger son gathers all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. This is, this is like the picture of when somebody goes off to college and just goes off the deep end. And goes crazy partying and with women and drugs and, and drunkenness. In verse 30, the older brother actually accuses him of devouring the property with prostitutes. Now, it doesn't say exactly what he was doing, but we know he's not spending his time packing Operation Christmas Child gifts or, or knitting or memorizing scripture. This guy, is, this guy is wicked. The Pharisees are thinking, this, this younger brother, he is terrible. And then look at 14. Look at verse 14. He handles unclean animals. This isn't something we might recognize in our culture, but in Jewish time period, pigs are unclean. The Old Testament says you don't eat pigs, you don't eat pork, you're not supposed to, and you don't touch unclean animals. You become unclean. But look at verse 14. But when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Jesus, this guy is terrible. This is the worst sinner on the face of the earth. That's what the Pharisees would be thinking right now. He's broke and hungry and desperate. 
Just an aside, I just want to say, we see the harmful consequences of sin right here. You know, sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Uh, I just want to say, especially for you, maybe middle schoolers or high schoolers, or for those of you in college, I've been there. You know, it might look so good what the world has to offer. To this, ch- to this son right here, he's probably working on the farm with his dad. And he's saying, man, if I could just go into the city and live it up, then I would have true life and true satisfaction. It, sin overpromises and underdelivers. He's left desperate. He le- he's left homeless. He's left broke. In verse 17, says he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses and devises a plan. He says, you know what? I've been a royal screw-up. But maybe my father will take me back. Maybe my father will take me back as a hired servant. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, I'm going to give him a speech. I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now I could just imagine, as he's uh, thinking about this in, in his head, he's going through this speech over and over. You know the speech. You've messed up. You've stayed out late. You've snuck out. And you're thinking, ah, I got something coming to me. I, I've got to practice my speech. And he's, he, he's, 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 his speech is, he's thinking, I'm going to go back. I'm going to beg for his forgiveness I'm going to ask to be a hired servant, which in this time period is the lowest of the low. In this time period, these are lower than the slaves. And I'm going to beg, and and, and hopefully I can earn my way back. Hopefully I can work and pay off my debts that I owe my father. And then I'll be accepted back in the family. He goes home empty-handed. And here the Pharisees who are listening have to be thinking, this guy has it coming for him. He's finally going to get what he deserves. He shamed his father. He squandered the wealth and worthless living. He's been living in the pig pen. He has it coming. But look what happens. Verse 20. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He's starting the speech. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And bring a ring for, on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He comes home hands empty. He has nothing to offer. He's planning to beg. He's planning to work. He's planning to earn his way back. And all he does is for he receives. He comes home hands empty, and all, he, get, all he, he does is get. He gets the best robe, probably the father's robe. The father gives him a ring. This signifies him being uh, accepted back into the family. A lot of times a ring has a family seal on it. He's a member of the family. He receives shoes. He came home shoeless, probably with the dirty, d- some dirty feet. And he received steak. 
The father kills the, uh, kills the fattened calf and throws a party. The son comes home empty-handed with nothing to give and receives everything. And Jesus is saying, Pharisees, this is the heart of Christianity. We bring nothing. It's not a, a hands-full exchange. You know, I give you, God, some stuff. You give me some stuff. It's a hands-empty receiving. And this flies in the face of, of, of most of the way the world works and, and everything we hear. This is why it's so hard to understand. You know, you earn your keep. Uh, the laborer gets his wages. You earn your wage. Or one of the first things I got taught is, son, there's no such thing as a free lunch. But Christianity says, there is if someone else has bought it for you. This is the good news of the gospel, that salvation, that we come to God. It is a complete free gift. It's a hands-empty receiving. And here's two implications from this point. Uh, first, if you're here and if you're not a Christian, maybe you um, can identify with the younger brother. Maybe you say, you know what, Brian? I am a royal screw-up. I have messed everything up. And I just want to go home. Or maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I've been a pretty good person. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've behaved pretty well, but I don't have a relationship with God like this. Just know that Christianity, that knowing God, a relationship with the Father, is a free gift. It's a present. And there's, we, we do nothing to earn it. And if you're a Christian here this, week, uh, this morning, know that... It doesn't switch and become like a handsful uh, handshake, or we don't add anything after we become a Christian. It's still a hands-empty receiving. It's still all about grace, even after we're a Christian. And this is great news. This simple truth of the gospel should affect our lives. Even this week with me, I'm going to be honest, I had a bad week spiritually. I, uh, I had to live this out. I told my wife, Sydney, several times, I can't believe I'm preaching this sermon because I feel like I can't go to God right now. I've had such a tough week, such a bad week spiritually. And I kept on telling myself, I became a Christian, hands empty, and I'm still a Christian, hands empty. I can go to God. I can go to my Father. And He runs to me, even after I've been a Christian for six or seven or 30 years. Christianity is a hands-empty receiving from the Father. We bring nothing. That's point number one. And point number two is Christianity is not a hands-full exchange. And this is found in verses 25 through 32. Look at verses 25 through 32. This is found uh, from the example of the older brother. Now his older son was in the field, and as he, and, and as he came, he drew near the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was, de- he was lost and is found. I want you to notice here the lostness of this older brother. What is this parable uh, often called? The parable of the prodigal son. That it's all about the younger brother. But I think just as much as it is about the younger brother, it's about the older brother. Jesus is telling this to the Pharisees uh, to, to, to enlighten them on how to view God. And they're the older brother. He's showing them their hearts. This parable is a warning to the Pharisees. It's showing them the hidden lostness of their hearts. That they see a relationship with God the Father as as a transaction, as an exchange. And the point is that Christianity is not a hands-full transaction. It's not a hands-full exchange. Look at verse 25. The older son is in the field, and as he came, he drew near the house, and he heard music and dancing. Whoa, what's going on? I've been out there working. I've been out there obeying the Father. I've been out there doing everything I'm supposed to do. And I hear music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. The brother that ran away. The brother that took a third of the inheritance. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him set back safe and sound. So he was angry and refused to go in. Why is he angry? Because my brother doesn't deserve this. He hasn't earned it. He hasn't paid his dues. I'm the one who's done all the work. I'm the one who's stayed on the farm. I'm the one who's who's, uh, earned my keep here. Why does he get in the fattened calf? Look at it. Verse 28. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, father, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed him the fattened calf. Dad, he didn't finish his dinner, but he gets dessert. This isn't fair. And this is the heart of an older brother. This is the heart of the Pharisees that Jesus is warning them about. The Pharisees are saying, the older brother is saying, I've done the good, so I should get the good. It's a transaction. I've done the good, so I should get a good life. And this parable is teaching us that just because we might behave well, or just because we might do good behavior, do good deeds, does not mean that we have a relationship with the Father, and does not mean that we honor the Father. Good deeds does not equate to Christianity. Tim Keller, who is a pastor and author in New York City, he tells a story to, uh, to show why the heart of the older brother is so lost. Why, why the lostness of a transaction-based relationship with God. Listen to the story. It's, it's kind of long, but it's really good. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. So he goes and gives it to the king. The king was touched 
and discern the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king says, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who, heard all, who overheard all of this. And he said, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if you give the king something better? So the next day the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, Let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. An older brother heart, a heart that views uh, our good deeds, our good behavior as a way to pay God, like he's a, a vending machine where we put in our tokens of good behavior and we get to punch the life that we want, that's not Christianity, and that is lost. And that's why good behavior, good deeds, doesn't mean we have a heart for the Father. And I want to stop right here and ask, how might this older brother transaction relationship show up in our lives? Because obviously, we're not walking around, hey, hey, Brian, I'm a Christian. Oh, I view God as a transaction. Nice to meet you. No. It's sneaky. It's deceptive. How might this show up in our life? How might it look if we view God as, as a hands-full transaction where we give him our good deeds and he gives us blessings? How might this show up in our lives? One way is extreme anguish when we mess up our sin. Extreme anguish when we mess up our sin. Think of this. If I view God as a demanding God who I have to pay with my good deeds to bless me and to, to be in his favor, if I mess up, I'm going to be distraught. And this isn't like a godly repentance because I, because I uh, grieved my father. This is a, oh no, I messed up. It's all on me. I messed up. What's God going to do to me? This can show up as ex extreme anguish when we mess up in sin. Another way that this can show up in our lives is a, is a lack of forgiveness in giving grace to others. Lack of forgiveness to others. You know, if we see God primarily as somebody who holds us to a certain standard and we have to pay him with those good deeds, we better not mess up or else he's going to get us. What happens when someone messes up and sins against me? I'm going to hold him to that same high standard because I'm earning it with God, so you better earn it with me. A transactional heart, a transactional relationship with God can show up extreme anguish when we sin, a lack of forgiveness to others when they sin against us. Or this is the kicker for me. This hit the nail on the head with me. What about this? What about this? A anger or frustration with God whenever things don't go my way. As I examined my heart this week and said, God, in what ways do I have an older brother's heart? In what ways do I need to repent of this? This, this hit the nail on the head. 
uh, anger or frustration with God when things don't go my way. I was thinking about a few years ago, uh, probably about a year ago, I was sitting in the back of my physical therapy classroom. Um, many of you uh, probably don't know, I have uh, some physical uh, sicknesses, uh, illness, autoimmune disease, and I was really suffering. So my autoimmune disease was terrible at this time. I am, I am feeling miserable. And I'm sitting in the back of the classroom, my head against the wall, and I'm just like, this is miserable. I, life is so bad right now. And then I look, and I see all my classmates, many of whom I love deeply, many of whom who are not Christians, and, and, and uh, let's just say they're not actively living a moral lifestyle for the Lord. And I look at them, and I see them laughing, all healthy. I see them enjoying each other, and I say, God, this is ridiculous. Here I am, I'm trying to serve you, and these guys, they're going out and getting drunk tonight, and they're all happy and healthy. Are you kidding me? What does that say about my heart? That's saying, I'm saying, God, I've lived a good life. I've done good deeds, so you owe me. After all I've done for you, this is how you treat me. That sees God as a transaction. That says, God, I give you good deeds. You give me a good life. And that's sick, and I've repented of that even this week. A relationship with God is not a transaction. It's not a, a hands-full exchange. I give you good deeds, you give me good life. It's a hands-empty receiving. We come to God with nothing and get everything. In closing, I want to I show, I, wanna, I want you to see the heart of the Father to pursue both the younger brother and the older brother. That if you're here this morning and you, you could identify maybe with the younger brother, you thought, man, I've blown it. I've done a lot of outward sins. Or if you can identify with the older brother and say, man, I've behaved really well, but I see that I've viewed it as a transaction with God. I've tried to put God in my debt by my good deeds. I want you to see that God initiates a loving relationship with both a younger brother and an older brother, that God pursues the younger brother and the older brother. Look at verse 20. When the younger brother is coming home, what does God do? God doesn't wait stingy on the doorstep, uh, tapping his foot. He runs to the younger brother. He takes initiative. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 28, when the, when the older brother is outside pouting, acting like a little brat, God doesn't wait inside and keep him out of the party. He goes out there in verse 28, says he entreats him to come inside. The loving father uh, invites both the younger brother and the older brother to the party. God pursues legalistic Pharisees and says, come home. Come hands empty. Come in. And he pursues wayward younger brothers. But there's one condition. You have to come hands empty. You have to come hands empty. We don't earn our place in the family because Jesus earned it on the cross. I pray that this would impact our lives as a church, that we would uh, be forgiving to one another, that we would show each other grace because of the grace that we've been shown, and that, and that God would give us the grace even when we suffer 
to be able to worship him and say, God, I come to you hands empty. You don't owe me anything, but you've given me everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you that you give us everything, that we come to you with nothing, that we don't have to pay you for our salvation. We don't have to live good enough or earn it by good deeds. But Lord, uh, when your grace comes and, and we come to our senses, that when we come to you, Lord, you run to the younger brother. You run to us and give us everything. Thank you, God. I pray that you, would, um, that you would give us hearts that worship you, that you would give us hearts that treasure you because we've experienced your amazing love and grace. In Christ's name, amen.